0: Um, let me give you a little context, and we're going to jump right in this morning. Uh, I would encourage you, while each of these messages, I hope, kind of stand on their own, we are in the middle of a series. Um, we've covered parts one and part two of the book of Ruth. The series is called Hold Fast. And um, to kind of pick up the story, we really need to understand the seriousness of the situation that our characters find themselves in this morning. And so we have two primary characters and someone new that is coming on the scene. Our two primary characters are Naomi, who was from Bethlehem, Jewish gal, she was married, had a couple of sons, and a famine came in. And so her and her husband, instead of kind of trying to stick it out through the famine, they left their hometown, they journeyed to a place called Moab, and then they stayed there for like 10 years, all through this famine that was happening back in Bethlehem. And in the midst of that, there was massive tragedy. Her husband died. Then her two sons died and she's left there with her daughters-in-law and they've got nothing. They've been separated from God's people. They're empty, they're bitter, they're tired. And she sets out to head back home. And in the midst of that, she has this interaction with her two daughters. We covered that last Sunday and one of them, Ruth stuck with her and held on to her and said, I'm with you. Where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And so we have a foreigner coming into a new land and we have Naomi returning to her home. And I just want you to understand something. They are in a desperate situation. This is not our American culture. This isn't let's go back home and we'll get jobs and we'll be fine. Men provided, husbands provided, and they provided through their property. They provided through farming and through animals and through crops. And so they were lacking provision. Secondly, we have a foreigner coming to town. Ruth, not only did she have no reason for these people to accept her or help her or take care of her, it was actually dangerous for her as we're going to see this morning. It was dangerous. And then on top of all of that, think about this for a minute. These people in this little town of Bethlehem, everybody knows everybody. Anybody here grew up in a town like that where everybody knew everybody? Yeah. They know that Naomi left. They all stuck it out for 10 years in a famine. Now imagine you've battled through this 10 year season, the the types of struggles and, and travails and things that you've gone through with a group of people and you're weary and you're tired and all of a sudden things are turning. We're about to have the first real harvest we've had in 10 years. And look who rolls into town. Naomi, who's been gone for 10 years. And she says she's bitter. Okay, just imagine the context. This is real life. These are normal people. They feel the kinds of things we feel. So moving into the story now, Ruth chapter one, beginning in verse 22. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So here we have the start of this harvest for the first time in a while. Now going over to chapter two, verse one. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. The first thing I want us to see this morning is that there are some signs of hope. Now, right in the middle, that center verse that we read, verse one, it really could almost be in parentheses because Naomi and Ruth aren't coming to town thinking about this guy, Boaz, who's there. The writer of this story is just saying, hey, oh, by the way, a new character is going to show up, and I want you to understand who this guy is. And so not only is there some hope because there's a harvest, there is hope because of Boaz. So let me tell you about this guy. Uh, In the ESV, it calls him a worthy man. But really, if we get behind that, what that phrase means is that he is a man, a mighty man of wealth. Can you guys say a mighty man of wealth? mighty man of wealth. Good. So mighty there means brave, strong, mighty, manly, vigorous. Guys, this is like the ideal man. This is like the guy we would all love to be. The strong, powerful, manly guy. In fact, this is such a strong descriptive word of this manly guy, Boaz. It is the same word that gets combined with this little word L, E-L, meaning God, to say mighty God. This is a descriptive word used of God throughout the Old Testament. The mighty God who saves his people. We see it show up, for example, in the Psalms, declaring how mighty God is and how he comes through on behalf of his people. Boaz is described as that kind of a mighty man. Men, I just have to tell you, as we continue through this story, we've got a lot to learn from Boaz. We've got a lot that we could grab hold of and hold on to. And I'd encourage you guys, along the way, if you're like me, I'm going to see places where I fall short, as a man, as a husband, as a father. But the true Boaz is Jesus Christ. The true ultimate man who is mighty indeed is Jesus. And guys, he's in you and he's in me. And so we can pray and say, God, would you, would you strengthen where I fall short? God, would you help me step into being a brave, strong, mighty man that can do heroic things on behalf of the people you've put in my life? Let's believe that way. Let's pray that way. The bar has been set way too low for manhood in our society. It's been set way too low. Let's let God set a high bar that in Jesus we can reach, that we can reach. Our communities need godly men who step up and do the kinds of things we're going to watch Boaz do. So this is good news. Not only is he a mighty man, he's a man of wealth. That means strength, wealth. It even means that he might have an army. The picture of this word, the basic idea behind this word wealth is strength and influence. So it means he probably had financial power and physically he was probably the guy that would like organize the men in town to go fight when it was time to fight and protect. So this is a strong, mighty, wealthy man. In fact, his very name Boaz, it means swiftness or quickly. This guy's gonna step up and act when it's needed. In fact, that that name, Boaz, it's two different little Hebrew kind of roots there that are joined together, and if we just take them individually, they mean in him and strength. So in him is strength. Now here's what I hope you guys are all hearing, and what we're gonna see as we continue through this story. There is a picture happening larger than just two or three people that have some interactions with one another. The story of Ruth is a picture of Jesus Christ and his gospel, his story for us. Naomi represents the Jewish people. Ruth represents us Gentiles who need Jesus, who need a redeemer. And Boaz is the picture of Jesus Christ and the work that he does to save and rescue and redeem us. Jesus is brave, strong, mighty, wealthy, He has influence. He has power. He moves swiftly. In him is strength. Y'all got that picture? That's our mighty God. That's our mighty God. Now the third sign of hope that we have here, there's a harvest happening. There's this this kinsman, this relative, Boaz. We're going to learn more about him. But there's also this opportunity that is available to Ruth and Naomi. And it's interesting to me that Ruth is the one that comes to Naomi and says, can I go glean in the field? Because Ruth is not from town. She has discovered in the short amount of time that they've been back in Bethlehem, that there's a welfare system available. And so the welfare system that was set up in Jewish culture is that the poor and the needy could come behind the harvesters And gather up the leftovers. Gather up what was dropped behind. Now just as an aside, I think it's interesting that God both provides welfare and it requires work on behalf of those receiving it. Just pointing that out. The wealthy make it available and the poor come behind and do some work. They gather. They're out there in the same field that the laborers are in. God provides for those in need. And so this is available and Ruth recognizes it. And what I love about her is something that we could could miss if we weren't paying attention. So I wanna wanna read this one more time. In verse two, when she gets this idea in her head and she comes to Naomi, she says, "'Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain.'" And notice what she's looking for. She could have just stopped there. I'm just, I'm looking to gather up some grain. But she's looking for someone. She says that I might gather them after him in whose sight I shall find favor. That word favor is the word grace. She's saying, I'm gonna go looking for grace. I'm gonna look for one who can provide it. And so what I I want us to see here through the rest of this story is a picture that we're gonna get of God's grace and how it works. And we're gonna see three ways that God's grace works. God's grace provides providence, protection, and provision. Those are three things that God's grace provides. And the first thing Ruth does is she goes looking for it. In Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, we're told something about the role that grace plays in our lives. It says, for by grace you have been saved by faith, or sorry, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The thing that rescues and saves us is the very same thing Ruth is desperate for in a very real moment in her life. We need saving. We've got nothing to eat. I'm not even really sure where they're staying. The story doesn't tell us, but they don't own property. We need help. We need grace and Ruth goes looking for it. And what I love about that, her looking, that's faith. That's faith. See, there are there is hope available to them. Faith is putting hope into action. Ruth could sit at home and be like, "Man, well, I hope this works out. I hope God provides." I hope something will be made available to us. No, she heard about a way that they could receive grace, that they could receive help. And so she says, I'm going to get up and go get it. And so the first thing I want to encourage you guys in this morning is go look for God's grace. So often when we're in need and we're desperate, we stop at hope. I hope it works out. I hope something happens. I hope there's a breakthrough, but will I go put my faith into action and go looking expectantly for God's grace to show up? I can't manufacture it. I can't do it on my own, but I can have my eyes open and be seeing where is His grace potentially available. So let's watch as Ruth begins to put hope into action. Verse three. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. She happened. If you didn't know this yet, I just need to tell you there's sarcasm in the Bible. There's, there's times where there's a little, a little wink, a little nudge. God's going, yeah, she just so happened upon Boaz's field. The first thing I see about God's grace is that God's providence is at work. There are no accidents in his kingdom. God knows what he's doing. God is at work all around us. And if we do what Ruth did and we go looking, we go looking for what might be available, we'll see God's providence show up. I just wonder how many times in our lives God has done something for us made something available to us, we benefit from it, and then we're like, well, that was lucky. What a coincidence. I mean, it's one of the things that's been such a, a joy to me, moving to Knoxville, it's stretched me in a lot of ways that have surprised me and been difficult, but one of the things that's been really incredible to watch is I don't understand how we keep meeting you people. <laughs> I don't get it. Like it's crazy. I mean, I I love sitting down and reflecting with folks like how we met this person and how we cross paths. And it's so easy to just throw around a coincidence. Like it just so happened. No, it didn't. God, God connects us. The scripture actually tells us that he places orphans in homes. He helps people find families. He brings us together. There's no accidents. And God's been reminding me of that and even convicting me of ways I've not looked or acknowledged his grace in my life because I've just sort of acted like, well, it just sort of happened or it worked out. Or the worst is when I try to take credit. Like, man, I made a really wise decision there and that's why this worked out so well. His grace, it's his grace. God's providence shows up, there's no accidents. And I love this because we now see Boaz encounter Ruth for the first time and we begin to see his intention towards her. So verse four, And behold, recognize, pay attention, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Now, why does the scripture say that? We know they're in Bethlehem. It's already told us that. That's where they live now. They're working out in the fields. Why is it taking the time to say, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem? Because I believe that God has dropped breadcrumbs throughout the scripture pointing to Jesus Christ. Behold the man from Bethlehem. Behold him, see him, he's present, he's available. And look what he says, he shows up from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Man, I didn't know there were Baptists in Bethlehem 1200 years before Jesus. Some of y'all got that. God is good. All the time. All the time. All right, like three of you have been in a Baptist church before. Okay. I came across it. I just had to laugh. It was like, dude, this is where they got that from, I guess. He's like, the Lord be with you. And they immediately knew the response. The Lord bless you. Verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reaper, whose young woman is this? Ruth caught his eye. Ruth caught his eye. Because she went looking for grace, she found it. Guys, I don't don't know whether you can believe this about yourself or not. And maybe some of us men are trying so hard to be the fake manly instead of the kind of manly that God makes us to be, that this sounds girly to us. But God has eyes for you. He has eyes for you. He sees you. He loves you. He cares about you. He is interested in you. And wouldn't it be cool when God shows up and says, whose is this that we could say, I'm yours. I'm yours. Sometimes we miss God's grace because we're so busy giving ourselves away to other things that we can't behold the man from Bethlehem who has eyes for us. And as cheesy as their little greeting and interaction was, it's actually a picture of how God's providence works. He says, the Lord be with you. That's God's providence. He's present. He's available. And he said, the Lord bless you. And that's what God does. He is present in our lives, and he is looking to bless us. Our part, how we participate, we look for him. If we seek him, we will find him. It's a promise. It's a promise. Let's continue on. So God's grace brings providence. Secondly, God's grace brings protection. Now I mentioned earlier that Ruth was actually in a potentially dangerous situation. And in verse 8 now, After Boaz has kind of seen Ruth and he's heard from the reapers who she is and what her story is, she's kind of starting to be known around town because she came back to take care of her mother-in-law. And so Boaz in chapter two, verse eight now, says to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn." He's offering protection. Now, here's something I've learned about a dad, being a dad. Um, You don't just unnecessarily throw out warnings. You throw out warnings to your kids because you know exactly what it is they're about to do. I mean, I can see it in my kid's eyes like the eyes start kind of going that way and it's like, oh, I know where this is heading. Don't do that. I step in, I interrupt. We we have a picture here of how dangerous the situation is because Boaz needed to tell his guys, keep your hands off of her. See, here's the deal. Because she was a Moabite, there was nothing, no rules, no laws really protecting her. When Boaz asked the question, whose woman is this? He's asking who protects her, who takes care of her, who speaks for her. And the answer is nobody. She's alone. She's left home and family. Naomi doesn't, doesn't have what's needed to protect her. She's got nothing. And so Boaz says, I'll protect her. I'll step in, I'll take guard. And he specifically warns his men. You not only keep your hands off of her, you keep your eye out for her, give her water, take care of her, protect this young lady. God's grace, brings protection. This is an unclaimed woman who's unspoken for, unprotected, and vulnerable. And yet he tells her, or tells them, do not touch her. I don't want to get too graphic here, but a lot of stuff could have happened to her. And Boaz understood that. We we live in the real world. It It is hard at times in this world to see God's grace because we see abuse, because we see damage and hurt, and we've suffered some ourselves. And the enemy would love to sow a seed, to sow a lie into our hearts that says, God is not good and He's not gonna protect you. Now this isn't a sermon about where is God when things go bad, but I I do just have to tell you, He's there and He's present and He's doing something. And if we'll watch for him, he is protecting. And I do think it's interesting that Ruth is given a specific instruction by Boaz, and then she goes home and has a conversation with Naomi. And so I want us to see this, because in order to receive his protection, he told her to do something specific. What did y'all hear him say? Anybody catch it? What did he tell her to do to be able to receive his protection? Say it louder. Stay with him. Stay with him. Okay, that was part of it. He he told her to stay in a specific location, right? Where at? In his field. In his field and with the other women. Now, watch this. Okay, in verse 8, he said, Keep close to my young women. All right. What happens when Ruth gets home and she begins talking to Naomi and Naomi's getting excited because she hears, Oh, you were with Boaz. Oh, he's a relative of ours. This is a really good situation that's happening here. And then Ruth goes on and says in chapter 2, verse 21, And besides that, he said to me, You shall keep close by my... Anybody following along? Young men. men. Did he tell her to stay by the young men? He said, stay by the young women. He said, I told my young men to leave you alone and to get you some water if you need it. He said, stay close to my young women. And Ruth goes home and says, he said, stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. I love Naomi's reaction. Naomi wasn't there. She didn't hear what Boaz said. But Ruth chapter 2 verse 22 tells us that Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Naomi gets real. I just think it's interesting how easy it is for us to take things that God has said and tweak them or to hear what we would like to hear. God, I I think you're saying this. And so I'm going to go do this thing that I'm picking, that I'm choosing, and then I'm asking you to bring your grace into this thing that I want and that I'm hoping for. I'm going to go hang out with the young men, and God, you'll protect me, right? No, no. I said, stay close over here. Stay close in this field with these young women, and I will protect you. I think some of us have missed out on God's protection at time in our lives because we're asking Him to protect us in situations He never intended for us to be in. And there are real life consequences to choices that we make. The beauty of free will is I get to choose to do what I want to do. The danger of free will is so does everybody else. Sometimes we choose things that are harmful for us. And so God's grace is available to provide protection. He asked Ruth to do something specific. Stay close. Stay close. I need to stay close to God and to the grace that he offers. I need to stay close to the people in my life that he's placed there that love me, that are working for my benefit. Remember, we said this a week or two ago. Love is about willing the good of someone else. Being around people that are watching out for me, protecting me, that God's placed there in my life. His grace is available to bring protection The way we participate in that is we stay close. I'm not gonna go running off and chasing other things and then saying, God, is your grace coming along to help me out. We communicating? Yeah? All right. The good news is his grace and his mercy is new every day. God, I got off track. I, I tried to do this thing and force it. It's not happening, help. He says, all right, I'll help. I'm present, I love you, I'll protect you. Let me come in. Number three, God's grace brings providence, it brings protection, and finally, we see that it brings provision. It brings provision. Back up in verses 15 and 16. After uh, Boaz has be, been talking to her, she's going back out into the field, and he has some more conversation with his young men. He's already told them to keep their hands off of her, but now he's going a step further. In verse 15, it says, When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Normal gleaning would take place around the edges of the field. And on the edges of the field are where kind of the crummiest, weakest crops are. They're more protected inside. They're more insulated further into the field. And so he's saying, let her come all the way into the field. She doesn't just have to stay on the edges. Let her step in fully. And then I don't want you just letting her have the little leftovers you accidentally drop. I want you guys to intentionally leave behind some really good stuff for her. Boaz's heart is to provide from the best stock, not just the leftovers. I hope you all can hear this. God is not miserly with His grace. I have been guilty. Oh, I could stop the sentence right there. Um, I have been guilty at times in my life of like almost asking for too little. Like, God, if I could just by the skin of my teeth, just scrape by and just have this little thing. uh, Could you maybe please do that? And he's saying, I'm a generous God. I want to provide according to my riches. I want to provide. I want to lavish on you. I am not miserly with my grace. I give it away fully and freely. I'm not talking about some bizarre twisted prosperity gospel where I just say like this perfect exactly worded prayer of faith and then boom, I'm a millionaire. I'm not talking about manipulating God to get stuff. I'm just talking about the fact that we have a generous God who loves us and wants to care for us and wants to provide for us. And he will lavish his wealth spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally. We are full complete beings and God is rich and abundant towards us. We're not meant to have this barely scraping by kind of mentality with God like, Oh, maybe he will take care of me. No, he will take care of you and he wants to lavish upon you. And so again, then what does Ruth do? It's available. The provision is being dropped and left for her. Verses 17 and 18. So she gleaned in the field for a little bit, for the afternoon, for a couple hours. She gleaned in the field until evening. She was working dawn to dusk. She beat out what she had gleaned. So after the gathering, she had to to do this process that we'll actually talk about more in a week or two where she has to kind of weed out the good stuff, get what's really available that could be used to cook and to eat. And so she does all the gathering, then she takes time to sift through it to get the good stuff that can be used. And then she was left with about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over from being satisfied. So she had all this food left over from lunch that had been given to her by Boaz. She had this abundance that had been dropped and was made available to her. And so she just stood there and went, look at that, isn't that great? No, she gathered it in. She sifted through it and brought home what God had given her, what God had given her. I don't know how that might apply in our individual lives, but I'm keenly aware in my own life, spiritually speaking, where there are times where where there is so much available to me in Jesus, but am I really taking the time to gather it in myself, to sift through it myself and see what he might be saying to me? I mean, I think we should apply this in a lot of ways, but specifically I want to talk to you guys about applying it just in your study of God's word. I think what we're doing here this morning is valuable. I think we need to be encouraged, we need to be taught, we need to worship together. But I'm just telling you, we need to eat on our own. We need to eat on our own. God has incredible stuff from His his resources that He would love to share with each and every one of us. Will we take the time to gather it up and sift through it and see what He has for me to eat? God's Word is living and powerful and it's active. And you're gonna hear me tell you this simple little story 20 times over the years. The thing that changed my life was getting in my bedroom as a 19-year-old kid and going up to that room and closing the door and saying, this God that I've heard about my whole life, if you're real, you gotta talk to me. And I opened up my Bible and I started to read and the Word of God came alive and it changed my life. I didn't need an apologetics course. I didn't need some strat, three step strategy of if you pray this often and fast this often and do, I just got real with God and said, God, if you're real and alive, I need you. Will you talk to me? And I read his word, looking and expecting that he would show up and he did. And he does. He does. There is a richness in Jesus that is available to us. Will we stop and gather? Will we sift through and learn to understand what he's saying? And if we will, there's a bounty available to us. And that plays out in a variety of ways in our life because then as we're reading God's word, it speaks to financial issues. It speaks to our desperate need as parents to parent our children. Well, it speaks to our desperate need to have healthy relationships with one another in friendships in marriages. there's a richness that's available in Jesus will we gather it in he will not be miserly I promise you that I want to finish with this this verse I love Naomi's reaction verses 19 and 20 and her mother-in-law said to her where did you glean today (laughs) this is awesome you showed up with a whole meal for me. You've got this unbelievable amount of food. Like this was, you were just supposed to come back with food stamps. <laughs> like this was just supposed to be welfare. What, it? look what you've got. She's blown away. Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. That's why I pray at my meals. Blessed be the man who took care of me. Thank you, God, for your provision. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. because Naomi went look or sorry because Ruth went looking for grace because she stayed close to receive protection and because she worked to gather the provision she brought home a healthy dose of real hope to her mother-in-law who was broken and bitter and desperate who felt like there was no hope left in the land of the living And for the first time, Naomi gets a gleam in her eye and she says, whoa, whoa, there's hope for the living and the dead. It actually somehow reignited her hope for her lost loved ones. Seeing God's power and grace on display in this world gives us a picture of the hope that stands before us for all eternity. Sometimes it's a lot harder to see God's grace available right now. Like I can believe in the old by and by, heaven will be there. But what about right now? But when God's grace and power shows up right here, right now in my life, it reignites and reinforces something that is true. That God has got me for all eternity. And that in Him, nothing is truly lost. Her husband's not gone forever. Her sons are not gone forever. They're kept They're maintained, they're held in eternity. God's grace is being lavished upon them. They're experiencing his providence fully. They're receiving his protection continually. And you better believe they are enjoying his provision. And so Naomi gets a a fresh glimpse of heaven and it gives her hope for today. Because Ruth put a little hope into action and went looking for grace. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the true Boaz, that you are the hero of our life story, that you have a heart of grace towards us that longs to show up, to be present, to bless us. Your heart is to protect and to provide for us. Jesus, I pray that we would have eyes for you, the one who has eyes for us. That we would be looking for your grace. God, that we would stay close to you for your protection. And God, that we would gather in what you are leaving for us that will provide for all of our needs. Jesus, we love you, we trust you, we thank you for this beautiful story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. God, we pray we invite you to come be the Boaz in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.